Welcome to Strung Out, the podcast that looks at life through the lens of an artist. Your host is the artist, writer, and musician, Martin Lawrence McCormack. Now here's Marty. Hey, glad to have you with us. And today we are talking about language, something that a lot of people take for granted. We think about language as English living in the United States, but have we ever stopped to really think about the importance, the cultural importance of language and, and what it means to preserve one's language? As somebody that grew up with family that could speak Irish and with relatives that speak Irish, I feel sometimes at a loss that I don't have command of Irish. But today I have with me Kenny Pheasant. And Kenny, I want to welcome you because, and I would like you to give your full title for our listening audience as to who you are and what you do. In English, I am known as Kenny Pheasant, and my traditional name is Neganagwane, and it means the front part of a bird. And when we became enrolled, my grandfather is the one that told me the story. When we became enrolled with the government, all we were, our names were turned into numbers. My social insurance number, social security numbers, whatnot. But anyways, the my grandfather told us, Naganugane, you say that all the time, you use it. Don't let anybody take that away from you. I didn't, and I've used that name my whole life. And it's something that, how would I say, identifies you to a specific culture, a specific language. And you were talking about what language actually is. To me, language is like a mirror. When you look into the mirror, you see a reflection of how you look. That's what language does. It reflects the culture of that people. I also saw that you are a, a keeper of the pipe. Yes. For your tribe, right? And also... For the nation, not the tribe. For the nation. Let's yeah, you wanted that. to know what the difference was between a nation and a yeah, tribe. Yeah, I think a lot of, I think a lot of people have a hard time trying to figure that out. So, can you explain for people how it works? Yeah, I'll. <clears throat> for this is how I explain it in the in when I teach in the schools. Is a, the title of our nation is Anishinaabe. It means the good people. And we cover two countries, Canada and United States. In Canada, it's uh, Quebec, Ontario, Manitoba, Alberta, Saskatchewan. In United States, it's Minnesota, Wisconsin, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, and Michigan. So the whole Great Lakes area is the homeland of our people. 
and the name of our language is Anishinaabe Mowin. And it's out of that nation are different tribes, different, different tribes, which are actually just dialects. And the, the, the major tribes are the Ojibwe, or now known as Chippewa. I'll tell you the story how this came about, too. Odawa, or Ottawa, and then Bodwe Adami, or Potawatomi, as it's known today in history books. Those are the tribes, and out of those tribes are bands. And this is where the how the confusion begins, because what happened was these people are now calling one another their tribes when they're not even tribes; they're bands of a tribe. Okay, and um, it's. How would I say? Uh, very. It's very important because to know that, because further down the road, people are going to say you're from a different tribe when you're actually not. You're actually from the same tribe, and so that's how it works with the bands. And all of these bands, they have like a chairman or a chief, a chairperson. And then there's a tribal council. These are all elected positions. And also there is a tribal court. So there's three branches of government, the legislative, executive, and the judicial in these governments. I hope I didn't confuse you anymore. No, actually, I this is really important because I come across then different bands like there's i'm assuming there there's a group by lactofambo and yeah and and they have a lot of water keeper ceremonies and such that i get yeah. emails about and i'm always like that band would be different from your band but would they speak the same language yes okay they actually, some of them come over to our language camp and they do presentations. Their dialect is Ojibwe. The dialect here in this part of Michigan is Odawa. Okay. But the, you can understand each other. There's, there's no, where I'm from, where I grew up, there's, oh, they speak all the different dialects on one, in one community. And when you say that, when, this language, when you grew up speaking it, was it already phoneticized, written down? Did you, was it, how far along was it? Or are you the guy that's... <laughs> no, it's an unwritten language. We don't have an alphabet. Okay. And me, I had to teach myself how to write my own language because there was nobody to teach us. Nobody knew. So within the last probably 50 years, us people that are fluent and want to learn how to write our language, we had to do it on our own. So it took me a long time, and I'm still learning. 
are you then like the considered then the sequoia of your nation? Are you the first one then to write down? I'm one of the first. Yeah, I'm one of the first. I'm not the only one. Uh, a lot of I have a lot of me family members that are doing just what I'm doing. We all became teachers. So I have a lot of cousins, nephews, nieces, all those kind of people that that are involved in teaching our language. Yeah. Most of them are in, in Ontario. I'm the only one in Michigan. You grew up on Manitoulin Island, right? Yep. That's part of Canada. Yep. And I uh, do... How does that work? Are, do you have dual citizenship, or are you just uh, no part no, of the I'm, nation? I'm Canadian citizenship. I'm still Canadian, but I what they give us is identification cards where you were born and where yeah where you were born and what your affiliation was your status. That's all I use when I go to Canada, and it. Nobody bothers me, and I come back, I use it too, and that's good enough. I hope you get through faster than I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... <clears throat> a lot of our people up in Canada, they have, they've... How would I say? We kept a lot of our cultural rights, spiritual rights, not like it happened here in the United States. The the native people of, of the United States didn't get their, they couldn't practice their ceremonies till 1980 or something like that. They were forbidden. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't like that in Canada. It wasn't as bad. So that's why there's still a real strong cultural background with people from Canada. And, and our language, the same way. There's more people that speak the language up in Canada than here in the United States. Let's go back to your life on Manitoulin. Tell us just what was it like growing up speaking Anishinaabe uh, Moan, right? Anishinaabe Moan. An Anishinaabe Moan. Yeah. And was it was it the type of thing just Paint a picture for us. Was it the kind of thing where that was all that was spoken and there was no English? Yeah, there was, in my home, we didn't even have electricity. We didn't have running water or anything like that. And so there was no TV, there was no radio, nothing but language. Every day from your childhood till, I didn't hear English till I went to school. And even then it was, Nobody used it. We all spoke our language to each other on the playground, on the bus, in school and everything. And it wasn't until probably I started high school. That's when I used, started to hear a lot of the English language. And <laughs> the first thing people want to do when they know that you speak your language they want to learn how to swear. But I, I, I told those kids, I says, you can't swear in our language. They said, you can't? I said, no, there's no swear words in our language. That's why it's called Anishinaabe Moen. That's the good people. So good people don't use cuss words. <laughs> I want to ask you, 
now to jump back to the idea of a nation that is divided by this, basically for all intents and purposes, a, a, a border thrown on you. And you were saying how the Canadian culture up there with the Anishinaabe was a little more undisturbed. Right. Do you feel like you are bringing a renaissance of culture through the language then to your fellow brothers and sisters and future generations? Touch on that a little bit. Yeah, it's, how would I say, some of my own people here that live here in Michigan they get all excited. They say, oh, yeah, I want to learn my language. And they sign up and everything like that. But once they, you get into the actual learning of the language, they find out it's not easy. This is a very difficult language to learn. And then on top of that, they think they, they have to read it. They think they have to read the language. And I said, no, you don't. They said, sure we do. I said, okay. I said, when did you start speaking? And they said, maybe two years old. I said, did you learn how to read back then? They said, no. I said, why do you want to do it again? Why do you want to do it now? I, with the group that I have, that I teach on a regular basis, there is no reading. It's all visual, all audio, everything is they're, they're hearing it, they're seeing it, they're not reading it, okay? But they do get lessons later, maybe six months down the road, eight months down the road. By that time, they know everything that that is on that lesson, so they don't bother to rely on reading a language to keep it. And answer this, I'm uh, just a playing a little devil's advocate here, Kenny. Okay. Why is Anishinaabe Moan so important for transporting and illuminating the culture of your tribe when you could conceivably do it in English, right? No. English takes the punch out of and the beauty out of the Anishinaabe Moan. Okay, you try to explain something or even tell a story or tell a joke, it's, it, it's funny in our language, but when you translate it, no, there's, not, there's nothing there. Using English to, uh, to edify Anishinaabe Mwen, it, it's very, it would be very difficult because the words would not the words would not be there. Do you find people within the Anishinaabe Nation resistant to the idea of learning the language? Or like you stated, there's a little bit of a fear that somehow they're going to have to pass a test or something? Um, no. They're, um, uh, the people realize that they had a language at one time. Their grands, grandparents spoke it. And, but over the years, in the last probably 80 years, it's almost entirely gone here in, 
in this part of the world. And when, see, I didn't go looking for my job. My job came to me. People found out that I was a speaker of my language. They came to me and they wanted to learn from me. And I told them, I says, listen, I'm not a teacher. I don't know how to teach. They said, you just say the words in your language and we'll say them. We'll repeat them. We'll memorize them. I thought, eh, I don't know. And I said, that's not how I learned my language. They said, we'll just try it. So that's how it all started. Small group of people and and I tried to write the best way I could. and And I found out that people, it was more of a struggle trying to read a language that has no, no letters in it. And it was just hard. It's much better to learn this language immersion style. That makes sense to me. Like I, I watched your YouTube videos and in which you were walking through the wild animals. And then you were also, you had a great video about farm animals, but yeah, it makes sense to me. You look at it, you see it, you say it. And one of the challenges, I think, with any kind of language that's in danger of going extinct is that there needs to be a critical mass of people fluent in it to keep it alive. and. How are you fighting that battle? Oh. One of the things that what happened to me 25 years ago, 26 years ago, was I had this idea, and nobody would believe me. I thought I could create an interactive, language website that would work for everybody because I, it, the language was disappearing faster than you could learn it. But I needed to find a way for many people to learn a little bit of it anyway and maybe have some interest to attend a class close by somewhere where they can actually attend a live class and maybe find some immersion session somewhere. That's one of the things that I'm hoping that'll happen. But uh, when I built the website, I didn't have much support. People thought it couldn't be done. And then on top of it, of me, I don't have no degrees or anything like that. But here, I wanted to build a big website. And uh, so anyways... I didn't listen to those people. I built the website anyway. And now it is the largest native language production in the world. That is fantastic. And I've seen that the government of Canada has recognized you for your work and you received a lot of accolades for almost single-handedly preserving and uh, reviving your language. It we're going to take a break in a couple minutes, and we're going to hear you telling a story in your language. And why don't you tell the listener what this first story is about? 
Okay. The legend of the tree is uh, the birch is called Wigwas. And what happened was this child was born and just like any other child has parents and whatnot. And anyways, at some point, this young, this child dies. When he became a young man, he passes away. And he had so much influence in his community. He was a positive man. He was good. He did good things. So he created all this positive with his community. But when he passed away, they, they, uh, how did they, they uh, planted a tree and out of that tree, it, and it was at the end of their community. So when you left the community or when you came into the community, you saw that tree every time you did that. So they did that in honor of him. And now they found out that you can actually tap this tree and create your own maple syrup or create your own syrup, not maple, but just a syrup. Anyways, yeah, so that's the story of the birch tree. And so they called the young man Wigwas, and that's what why we call the birch Wigwas to this day. So let's listen to Kenny talking in uh, Anishinaabe Moam about Wigwas. And you are listening to Strong Out. Me sugiye anen ninwok manda gashweb zuat ngoting. Me dashgo nidbikka minago wigo ming yawat. Kawin ye yego wasmoin. Nij dash gwa gwanda ninwok nunch gwa pane mishish chigewo. Me dash maba and jim yigno nat njoan. Hey jo, denan sugiye. Jodosh Yitquetwan, Wa, the Nandi. Kikendan Nagego. Weganesh, Kedasagian, Njo. Gwanda Beneshiak, Enchuat. Mabatosh, Bapasa. Me Maba, Mimma, Bemadzet. Oh, me Nogate. Kedasagian, Mabat, Njo. Eh? Kedasagian, Mabat, Njim. As naidige kendasien denan sagien jo jimon. Eh, ni kendas sagwa kedas sagien maba njim. Mi dashgien yi nebzantek jina. Mi dashgien maba beje kewezi yi debuayanigedong enjepshigishbekok. Ki kendana nagego. Kawin gugenig being damadzisi, kishpinetta, geni papa kweshmitzian asmantigung gbegijik. Gik chebashka puksugye kina anishnabe gayajik. Hello from Marty Fine Art Studio 
It's that time of year again when Marty reveals his annual Christmas painting and starts filling orders for the limited edition note card sets. This year's painting, titled God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, is the first watercolor of the holiday series. It features two bullnose lounging in a thicket of willow reeds at the base of a snowy mountain range. A perfect greeting to wish all of your friends a relaxing, peaceful holiday season. Were you hoping to reorder last year's Christmas card? You're in luck. A few sets remain, so why not add one to your order? The high-quality 5x7-inch cards come with envelopes in sets of $15 or $30. To order, click the link in Marty's newsletters or shop online at martinlawrencemccormack.bandcamp.com. Click on the Merch button and select your quantity. As always, thank you for supporting Marty Fine Art. Have a great holiday season. If you want to catch a turkey, I'll tell you what you gotta do. Sit deep in the woods and eat your you call it turkey to you. What? We call the moose. Our turkey cough was too loose. Let's try again. If you want to catch a turkey, tell you what you got. Sit deep in the white and make your the corn turkey to you. Well, let's play. I'm Monday. We're full of this. We're in the corn corridor. Well, the corn is what? We call the bear. Get your here. We want a turkey. If you want to catch a turkey, tell you what you gotta do. Sit deep in the woods and if you you call turkey to you. What? We called a wolf. What does our turkey call like? Let's try again. If you want to catch a turkey, tell you what you gotta do. Sit deep in the woods and if you call a turkey to you. The owl, we want a turkey. If you want to catch a turkey, tell you what you gotta do. Can stick the good. I'll the turkey. Keep on the tree. Go on with the
Hi, turkey calls. Hi. And we're back. I am with Kenny Pheasant, who is reviving and has managed to create a website the largest website of its kind in the world for indigenous language, specifically for the Anishinaabe nation. And that language is known as Anishinaabe Moam. And one of the questions I have for you, Kenny, again, it's as an outsider, what do indigenous people like to refer to themselves to? What's the proper thing? Everybody has a hyphenated cultural thing these days, but you you belong to a nation that's not only in uh, the U.S., but also in Canada. But then there's other nations. What what do indigenous people refer themselves to or like to be referred to as? I'd like to say that it's better to refer to the nation because then if you a nation is stronger than a tribe if people ask me that question i say i am from the anishinaabe nation i do not say i am from the odawa tribe okay but that's that's what they always ask though what tribe what band and are terms like first nation native american and indian are those terms that are passe? Yeah, the word Indian, <clears throat> a lot of people do get offended with that. When I was growing up in high school, that's when the first time that kids made fun of me of how, who I am, how I look. When I when would enter into a classroom, the kids would start banging on their desks as if it was a drum. And as I walked in, and I didn't understand why they were doing that. And they'd make fun of my long hair. As a, as a matter of fact, they tried to cut my hair one time. And so I asked my parents, I said, why are these people acting like this? And my dad said, because they don't understand you, and it's much easier to make fun of you than to try to understand you. I said, oh, okay. And I left it at that. I thought, if they're going to make fun of who I am, they're always going to do that. Because that they were raised like that. That's true. It's, do you think, have we made any strides in regards to that? Yeah. I would say there, there's been, with the effort, nobody really says, Indian anymore. And like 
in, in colleges, native programming, native programs, indigenous, uh, whatever. They took out the word Indian in many colleges and in many, uh, not all the schools. Now, schools, they still carry the old mascot, the old Indian head, and they call themselves the Chippewa Indians or something like that. And there's still some work that needs to be done there, but that's where the racism begins is right there where we get ignored for our what our traditional ways are. Those are just shoved aside. They don't, it's like they don't matter. And I tell people that we, one of the things is, I says, you're, in your culture, I said, you have a Bible, and you're supposed to follow that. I says, we don't have a Bible. I said, but we have a creation story that is awesome. And it explains everything in great detail. And it's, it, I've been asked to tell the creation stories in many communities here in Michigan. I love to do it in the language. It takes about four hours to do it in the language, where it takes not even two hours in English. But when you hear the language, especially the, the creation language, it puts everything into perspective. Everything makes sense. Why and how things are in the world. Why we have the four seasons. I'm glad that the word Indian has been taken out in many educational facilities because that's, we're not Indians. We're first people. We're the first indigenous people of this continent. With that, all the different nations that are represented today, where do they stand in relations to each other? Is there an understanding that, hey, we're all, we are the first people? Has there ever been a push toward an inter-nation unity, or do they, each nation look upon each other like uh, different countries would? All the native people in North America, our culture is very similar. It's very common. We all have a drum. We all uh, attend ceremonies. All have powwows. And in those powwows, there's intertribal singing, intertribal dancing, which is means that's exactly what it means. It's intertribal. It's a little bit of everybody. Okay? So there is... What you're talking about already exists, and it it always was there because of our culture. We realize that we have different languages, but our culture is the same. And are you seeing more intertribal cross-pollinization of language and such now? Yeah, there's, there's one thing that, that they do now at powwows is either they'll have two two MCs. One will do it in English, one will do it in the native language. Now, those are very popular. They're encouraging people, communities, to do that route, to do that, because they want to hear the language at, a, at an event like that. 
I put on what I call a language camp. And it's 26 years, I think. I think that's how much we've had had the camp so far. We didn't have it for three years because of COVID. But anyways, this is an event. It, what happened was it was me and my family, my wife, my son, my daughter. And then we were talking one time. They said, what, everywhere we go, we have to speak English. Why can't we go somewhere where it's just our language? I said, let's create one. So we created the language camp. And that's exactly what I say is everywhere we go as a people, we are forced to speak a language that is not our own. So we created, excuse me, we created the language camp so people can come and hear their language all weekend long. And people come from all over the United States and Canada for this event. And it's really, it's, and I, from this, when people start coming here, they took that information back to their communities. Now they have their own language camp, and which is great. That, that's what I want to see. That's what I want to happen. Uh, a question that I have for you, Kenny, is you have been with going online, and you told me, as you say, people were like, you can't do that. You can't create a website. But you went ahead and you created this website, but you also created other social media streams and sites that people can get to. You're very savvy when it comes to that idea of reaching the population through social media. Can you take us through each of the different instruments that you are using to, to promote the Anishinaabe Moam? The website is a big hit. And it's being used internationally by so many different groups. And it, it was fun to, to design it the way we did. And one of the things that I realized that's been happening in our communities is we're losing numbers, our numbers, the number system. And it's happening in just about every community in the Great Lakes area. So what we created on this website is a bowling game. And you play bowl and you hear the numbers. That's one of the ways we're trying to do that. And we have a, a Facebook page that's very popular. We just passed the 9,000 mark. There was over 9,000 people that follow it now. And it's, again, it's being used in schools and everywhere. And there's all kinds of stories, jokes, and all kinds of different lessons on this Facebook page. And then, of course, our language camp, which we do every year now. And uh, it's, I, I actually, one of the videos is going to be about language camp. And I talk about the things that are going to be taking place during the camp. So those are three big things that we're doing. Now we, we're, <laughs> sounds like this radio thing is going to take off. So I'll be doing radio spots probably in this part of Michigan. Let me ask you this, Kenny, if I am listening to this podcast and I'm like, 
I want to tap into every one of those avenues. I want to join the language camp. I want to get to the Facebook page. Can I access it through your website? And if so, can you spell the website so people know how to get there? Yeah, you can get all the information that I'm talking about on this podcast on my website, anishnabemda.com. A N I S H I N B E M D A A dot com. Great. And for those of you listening, of course, you can see that on the transcript as well as in production notes. Thank you for listening. For more information about this show or a transcript, visit martinmccormack.com. While there, sign up for our newsletter. See you next time on Strung Out.